Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyen de los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., you are on the Hill. Tom Fitzgerald here with you in Washington. We thank you for joining us once again. Rebecca Grant is a national security expert with the Iris Independent Research Group, and she joins us on the Hill to talk about the um, spiraling situation between the United States and Iran in the wake of the United States drone attack on a top Iranian general. Soleimani. Rebecca, thanks for joining us on the Hill. Glad to be here. All right. So one of the things I wanted to kind of do is to backtrack on this a little bit because the events have moved so quickly and so fast. that I think it sometimes gets over the heels of people who are kind of just starting to to pay attention to this situation. So I, I want to start with who Soleimani is. Where does he come from? Where does he fit in the structure of, of the Iranian government and what has he done in the, in the in years leading up to what happened with this drone attack uh, Friday as we're sitting here talking right now. Uh, Qasem Soleimani was a major general in command of the Iranian Quds Force. This is a paramilitary group, <clears throat> but incredibly powerful. And his, among his many responsibilities was spreading terrorist funding to groups like Hezbollah and others. But let's look back, Tom, at who Soleimani really was. He's a veteran of the incredibly bloody Iran-Iraq war that took place for eight years during the 1980s. Over half a million were killed in that war, and it was in that war that Soleimani rose to prominence, became very close with Iran's current Ayatollah and Supreme Leader Khamenei, and from that he forged his military career. For about the past 20 years, he's sort of split his time between suppressing dissent in Iran, including the killing of, of Iranian citizens, and fomenting the Islamic revolution in other parts of the Middle East. Any bad operations from the 1996 attack on U.S. Air Force personnel at Kobar Towers in Saudi Arabia, right up through the December 2019 embassy attack, they all had Soleimani's fingerprints on them. Going back to the Iran-Iraq war in the uh, early 80s, late late 70s, that wasn't just a war between two countries, though. That, that was a war between two rival factions of Islam, uh, Shia and, and Sunni. And, and that has continued to be uh, one of his driving um, uh, purposes in that he has really been kind of propping up Shiite militia with, within Iraq. Is that tied to a lot of his activity, not only promoting Iran, but pr promoting Shiites throughout the world? Yes, exactly. And the scary takeaway to me about the Iran-Iraq war was that the Iraqis under Saddam Hussein really got beaten pretty badly early on and went to the Iranians and said, we're ready for peace within about the first year. And the Iranians said no. 
We want to keep fighting. And it took another eight bloody years. Yes, that is that Shia-Sunni conflict. Iraq at the time was run by Sunnis. So after the 2003 U.S. coalition invasion of Iraq, Iran began to put more Shia operatives into uh, Iran put more Shia operatives into Iraq. Some of these were political, Mm -hmm. some in the intelligence arena, and some stoked the militias in that period of civil war. That's where we see the number of U.S. and coalition servicemen killed by uh, roadside bombs and other weapons supplied by Iran. That's where that began. So you mentioned he was in charge of the Quds Force. A lot of people might be familiar with the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. Give folks an idea of what the Quds Force is. Is there an um, element of maybe the U.S. military that you could compare them to? Are they Iran's SEALs? Are they Rangers? Is there a uh, comparable um, area of our own military that we can point to that would give people an idea of exactly what the Quds Force is? Uh, the Gestapo of Hitler comes to mind. Yeah. I could never compare those dastardly fellows to any of our U.S. forces. It's a good comparison. And, you know, the other thing that's unique about the Quds Force and the Islamic Revolutionary Guard is, like the Chinese military, they're in business. So you'll notice that a lot of the leaders were sanctioned under financial sanctions, some of them years and years ago, because in addition to running military units, they run construction businesses, they sell oil, and that's partly how they get the money to finance terrorism throughout the Middle East. So they're this kind of self-sustaining unit as well, too. Uh, Sounds a little bit like when I used to cover the mob. It's exactly like the mob. And, And I really look at this attack on Soleimani as a little bit like taking out a mafia chieftain. You know, you've asked, what was he doing in Baghdad? I think that was a shock to many people that he was there. Well, believe me, this wasn't his first trip there. Baghdad, he regarded as part of his mob territory, just like regions of Syria and Lebanon and Damascus, where he'd come in from that night on the plane. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, let's not forget Yemen. Iran has been key in stoking the very bloody civil war and humanitarian crisis in Yemen as well. So when people think of Iraq, obviously they know for the last 18 years how you know, the United States has been involved in one of its longest military campaigns and involvements in its history. But even though Iraq is now a country with a standing government and its own army, there are still these militias that operate at their own will throughout the country? Explain, folks, to what's going on on the ground there. Why, why are these militias still out there within the country? Yes, and that's why it was. Uh, we also saw um, the strike killed the leader of those Shiite militias called the People's or Popular Mobilization Forces. These are really little cells that, again, are attempting to push partly a political agenda so that the Shia stay in political control mm-hmm. of Iraq. But they're willing, with Iran's help and prodding, to take this up to another level. Now, we've seen through Iraq in really the last two years, but accelerating since October of 2019, we've seen a lot of popular protest in Iraq by Iraqis against the influence of Iran and against these militias that are, like you say, they're like the lieutenants of the Soleimani mob boss. Mm-hmm. So we've seen some pushback against those protests, and uh, uh, reports tell us that between three and 400 Iraqis 
have been killed in these little uprisings since last fall. So as the Iraqi parliament was about to start debating whether or not U.S. forces should remain in the country, all of a sudden, all of a sudden we have these protests at the U.S. embassy and what is supposed to be the green zone. Uh, in Baghdad. Is there any doubt in your mind that Soleimani was behind the protest that we saw turn violent? I, I think it was a little more than a protest. It was an attack on the U.S. Embassy. Was Soleimani involved in that? He was. Soleimani greenlighted Iran's attack on the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. That's the simple truth. First question that comes to mind, how was that mob originally a funeral procession and then suddenly an attacking mob? How were they able to get that close? That means that there was some weakness within the Iraqi security forces who are supposed to defend the embassy and the embassies of other countries. That obviously raises a basic question. Was was that a mistake or did somebody make the decision to allow them to do that? Oh, I think, again, the mob analogy fits. You know, this was, they had sympathizers who enabled that to take place. It's not all of Iraq's security and police forces, but there were sympathizers there. That's why job one after the embassy attack was to get calm on the streets around the green zone and the embassy in Baghdad. And President Trump and Secretary Pompeo really called on Iraq to impose order, which they eventually did of course, with augmented U.S. forces, including two Apache helicopters flying Mm -hmm. over top the embassy in a really important show of force. Dramatic in a couple ways, because if you have an Iraq supposedly, you know, keeping the United States embassy safe in this green zone, and then you have an Iranian-backed militia launching this attack, it came nearly two months to the day after the 40th anniversary of the Iranians taking the United States Embassy in Tehran over and then keeping American hostages for 444 days. Um, That in itself seems to be a callback in a way for Iran to remind people of the birth of its own Islamic revolution and what has led now to 40 years of their involvement in terrorism across the globe and of also being a destabilizing force in that part of the world. It was a very deliberate callback. Iran is struggling. We've seen protests there in Iran. We see that the economic and financial max pressure sanctions are really biting. There's no doubt in my mind that Soleimani wanted to take over the embassy Baghdad just like they'd taken over the Iran embassy 40 years ago. We're talking to Rebecca Grant. She is the national security expert at the Iris Independent Research Group. This is the On the Hill podcast. Uh, We're discussing the uh, United States military action which um, killed Iranian general uh, Qasem Soleimani um, this past week. I want to talk about the way forward now. Um, The United States launches this drone attack on this car. Were you at all surprised at the effectiveness of how the United States is able to find a car leaving an airport, know who's in it, and take that car out with with a drone strike? It was a stunning attack, uh, but let me tell you, uh, from a purely tactical military perspective, 
this was as close to a sure thing as you're ever going to get. Our U.S. forces have become very good at the level of surveillance and precision strike that they use to carry out this attack. And, you know, look, let's look at the, some of the parameters as the president would have been presented when he had to make this decision. Now, Soleimani had his own airplane and frequently flew around, around the region, a, a U.S. Special Forces commander so, this summer. So they would know when this plane was in the air? Oh, this is a well-known plane. Yeah. I, a U.S. Special Forces commander this summer mentioned um, going to a location in Syria and finding Soleimani's plane already parked there. They would have known the plane was in the air. This plane might have filed clearance to come into Baghdad on final. It was uh, in the middle of the night, which would minimize collateral damage. That's the number one question. Are there civilians or unintended in the way? And they, they will not strike unless that's clear. We have surveillance um, from drones and other sources that can literally watch this like it was on TV. They had positive identification that this was Soleimani's plane, that the cars leaving the, um, the runway there, the, the ramp, the taxi ramp, were uh, carrying Soleimani and the, uh, the other officials as well. The cars then left and left the airport, drove away from the planes and down an airport access road. Again, a high wall on one side, very limited traffic, no one else around to be accidentally caught in the crossfire. And so the Reaper drone, which is on station 24-7, and they call it CAP, Combat Air Patrol, is able to use very precise weapons to target the moving cars, either Hellfire missile, which is an army missile adapted from helicopters, or even possibly the small diameter bomb, which is a, a 200-pound bomb that's really good at hitting moving targets. Reaper carries all of those, and so the strike was really a sure thing from a tactical perspective. Uh, almost from his first public comments, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has said that the reason the United States conducted this operation was not strictly because of the attack on the American embassy, but because the United States had uh, intelligence uh, suggesting that Soleimani was in Iraq to launch a wider spread of attacks against U.S. interests. Is, is that because the United States itself knew and understood that taking him out may not have been a proportional response to an attack on a, on a U.S. embassy, or, or, or was there more to that? I think there's more to that. We've seen this crisis really began back in May of 2018 when the waivers for Iran's oil sales were lifted. Since that time, we've seen the CENTCOM commanding general talk about rising threats in the region. We've seen the deployment of over 10,000 additional forces, mainly for force protection. And then Iran has escalated. So everything about their pattern, starting with the June shootdown of the Global Hawk drone, then the, the, the stunning evil attack by Iran on Saudi Arabia's oil fields, mm -hmm. And then moving up to the attack on our U.S. embassy in Baghdad, that is clear escalation. I have no doubt there was more planned, and that's why it was a legitimate strike to take out Major General Soleimani. Which is important to remember. We've been on this path with them for, for quite some time. All of these incidents that you just listed um, are part of a pattern of an Iran which continues to press the envelope, continues to press the U.S., and each time they come back with something that's more violent and, and, and more devastating. And they're pretty cavalier about it, and that's a lot due to Soleimani's leadership. Our U.S. forces in Syria a few years ago were attacked by Iranian drones and shot them down. And then don't forget, from November through December, there were 11 separate attacks within Iraq 
backed by Iran on Iraqi bases or other places where U.S. aircraft and forces were stationed. So that's 11 attacks. You know, what more do you need? No question that Iran's next move to escalate, there was clear indication, we haven't been told where or what, and that's appropriate, but clear indication of more attacks on Americans, either diplomats or military personnel. And President Trump will not stand for that. Fifteen minutes into the podcast, I will ask the question that probably is in a lot of people's minds. Are we going to go to a war with Iraq? Iran? I think Iran feels that they're already at war with the U.S. They talk about the financial war, the economic war, and there we do have help from our allies, Britain, France, and Germany, who have been trying to negotiate, but also locking down sanctions and withdrawing a lot of their business. So I think the maximum financial pressure war is already underway, and it's clear that Iran considers U.S. targets available for terrorist acts. If that's not war, I'm not sure what is. Now, a larger conflict, Here's what I see. Russia and China, who are big backers of Iran, have been egging them on. I think this strike on Soleimani will really cause Russia and China to step back for a minute. And I think to quietly withdraw some support for Iran, Russia and China do not want to see the U.S. involved in a larger war with Iran. So I think there's going to be a message to cool it. Escalation, it's up to Iran. President Trump, Secretary Pompeo, have, and the Europeans have said over and over, we will negotiate any time on some changes to the nuclear deal. Let me ask you about where we are with our allies, because um, while nobody uh, amongst the U.S. allies has been uh, mourning the death of General Soleimani, he was not a positive force for good in this world in a lot of people's eyes. At the same time, there does seem to be a sense of, did we need to go there? Um, The president, throughout his three years in office now, has kind of poked and prodded some of the oldest U.S. allies over things like NATO funding and trade deals and and things like that. Um, Does that factor in when real trouble shows up like what we're dealing with right now? Um, that those differences may may necessarily not be put aside fully, and that does affect how our allies move forward with us on this or not. I think the number one factor moving forward is our strong military cooperation, particularly with allies like Britain, France, Germany, and so many others, 81 involved in the Defeat ISIS coalition. So that strong military cooperation really counts. All the allies, like the U.S. right now, are thinking about protecting their forces in the Middle East. That's very key. I don't think they were surprised about the method of the strike. I think everyone's been stunned, and we don't want to take that strike lightly. But here's the thing. We tried a deal with Iran. It didn't work to stop the terrorism. Britain, France, and Germany have all tried very hard through 2019 to negotiate with President Rouhani and Foreign Minister Zarif. No dice. And so I think we see that there is no end to the terrorism without addressing it directly. And the Allies understand that their forces and people can also be at risk. So it's a serious time, but I think our key emphasis right now is on Allied support and our strong military cooperation with Allies across the region. She is Rebecca Grant. She is a national security expert at the Iris Independent Research Group, and she has been our guest on the Hill podcast uh, this time. Uh, Rebecca, thanks so much for uh, shedding some light and uh, really kind of putting this into perspective because it's a, a rapidly changing situation and 
a lot of us need to get up to speed on exactly what's been the history recent and moving forward. Thank you. All right. We thank you as well, too, from the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. This has been the On the Hill podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyen de los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com.